Turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. And would you stand with me this morning? I want to go ahead and make a personal appeal to you to make a commitment for the fall semester to join us on Sunday nights. Um, all of the rehearsing of the Word of God is profitable. But when I'm preaching on Sunday morning, I, give me just a moment to give you this quick commercial. When I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, in one room I have, uh, spiritually speaking, newborns, toddlers, uh, preschool, grammar school, you know, all the way up, 20s, 30-somethings, at a maturity level. I'm always preaching, trying to move you. That's my motivation. That's, I ask God, help me move you towards greater freedom or greater wholeness or, 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 or greater priorities. But on Sunday nights, we dig into the Word of God. We, we look for the meat of God's Word, which creates within us a maturation that we are then able to help others and pour into others. It, it's, it's more than substance like milk and bread. It's meat, meat for men. And uh, for a believer that's a true disciple, Sunday nights should appeal more to you and your appetites. And it's not that we don't want you here on Sunday morning. I just, I encourage you. It's one hour, six to seven and uh, y'all know I'm good about punctuality, not just on the front end, but on the back end. I'm, it's equal opportunity, you know, because it don't have to be eternal to be eternal. It can be good without keeping you real long. But we know that our lives are full. But if you will make that commitment, give it one semester. And if you don't find yourself deeper, stronger, with greater hunger, then don't come back. But give it one semester. Matthew chapter 14 Beginning with verse 22, if you're there, say amen. If you had to flip a page, say amen. Okay. Then Jesus directed, constrained the disciples to get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent away the crowds. And after he had dismissed the multitudes, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was still there alone. But the boat was by this time out on the sea, many furlongs, and a furlong is an eighth of a mile, distant from the land, beaten and tossed by the waves, and the wind was against them. And all you need to know about this is there are no motorboats. There's no trolling motors. This is oars, and you're many eighths of a mile, so a mile or two offshore. And in the fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m., of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and screamed out, it's a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. But instantly Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, I am. Stop being afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water or bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he perceived and he felt the strong wind, he was frightened and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And instantly Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and held him saying, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased with no command. The wind ceased. And those in the boat knelt and worshiped Jesus saying, truly, you're the son of God. 
And when they crossed over to the other side, they went ashore at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around into all the surrounding country and brought him all that were sick and begged him to let them merely touch the friend of his garment. And as many as did so were perfectly restored. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. And in all seriousness, with humility, I want you to pray for me this morning. I covet your prayers uh, that the Lord would use me as a vessel today. So, Lord, I just present myself to you today. And the longer I live, the more keenly aware I am that I cannot help anyone. In the truest sense of the word, I can't unless your Holy Spirit quickens me. And unless your Holy Spirit gives me an unction and an anointing for this moment, then I have merely communicated truth. But your spirit giveth life. And that's what I'm asking for today, Lord. Uh, Help me to speak uh, concisely, uh, with clarity and with power. And that your word would become engrafted into the people that are yours. And that it would bring fruit thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. With everything, we are a product of our environment. Uh, People that move from the north came down here and were in uh, absolute uh, shock at the vernacular and the speech and couldn't get over the the use of words. And those Yankees, no matter how far north they are, now they y'all and Bubba Nim, you know, it, 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 it goes over into you. If you hear something long enough and see something long enough, you start to, even though that's not what you are, it starts to manifest itself and it's happening in the church. We have been through, we have seen so much teaching and so much preaching and so much uh, emphasis from a humanistic standpoint in the word of God that we see everything through the temporal eyes. I talked to you about that last time. We look for the word of God, how to get out of your storm. That's, that's it. So five ways to get out of your storm, five ways to make it to the other side. No, the issue for us, the deeper meaning of scripture, if we follow these patterns, okay, so if I act afraid and I scream out, it's a ghost, and we'd follow down the line and these things will happen. No, when, when, the, when the Lord teaches, the storm ceases. When he revealed what he wanted to reveal, the wind stopped on its own. Now, there are times in your life that storms come through satanic opposition, that storms come through your own choices. But your steps are not ordered by Satan. And your steps are not ordered by yourself. The righteous man, his steps are ordered of the Lord. And there is a blessedness. There is a blessed, a blessed trouble. And that's what I want to speak to you. And if you'll hold that context, it'll become really clear in the end. There is a blessed storm. There is a blessedness, I should say, to the storm. A blessedness to the trial. A blessedness. So if God is going to get us out of the trial and we never perceive, receive, and assimilate the blessedness of it, then we do it over again. And then we do it over again. And I have found that when we submit and yield and learn 
and appropriate, then we can become like the Apostle Paul when he was in prison and the earthquake came and all the chains fell off, all the soldiers, I mean all the uh, prisoners, and the gate swung open to every cell and everybody ran out. Paul and Silas didn't leave. They were not trying to get out because the Lord was in there. When they saw the Lord's glory in there, they said, why would I ever leave this place? The Lord's here. So that's the blessedness, seeing the Lord. So in that context, and I know that was a little wordy, but I had to set this up for you. I want to talk to you about a blessed trouble. It is a blessed trouble, number one, if God's will has led you to it. The Bible said he directed, constrained the disciples to get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent away the crowds. If God's word has commanded you in this path, if the spirit has led you, if his providence has brought you, if his sovereignty has scheduled you, and his love has surrounded you and pushed you towards this place, it is a blessed trouble. We're following the Lord's will and we say, and then all of this hell happened. When you're in his will and you're serving him, it's the devil and the world will say, look at how God treats you. Being a Christian does not exempt me from the storms, the trials, the loss, the agony, the suffering, the pain, and the confusion that's found in this world. Christianity, knowing Jesus, gives me a blessedness in it. A blessedness to pull out of it. All it does is destroys the world. I, I, I would not want you to experience this, but though some in this room have where you preach a funeral where no one in the room is a Christian and that casket has a person that's not a Christian and, the, and they're angry. They're ghosts. They just look straight ahead. There's nothing there. And how does someone do that without knowing the Lord? But we see that in a funeral, but you can do that in, the, in your life and in the storm's life. If you are not in rebellion, you're, not, you're living for the Lord, and all of a sudden in his will, all hell has broke loose. You need to understand that this is scheduled. This is scheduled. And there's a blessedness in it that you, you well, I don't see no blessing in it. It's because it hadn't been revealed yet. There's a blessedness in it for the person that, that, that remains and that especially if you look for it, sometimes he graces us and shows us anyway. But if you look for it, like you would say, God, I know you're too loving to be unkind and you're too wise to make a mistake. So there must be something in this storm that you either want to show me or that you have for me. A blessedness. Notice that it was only his disciples sent to the other side. Look in your Bible. He sent the crowd home. And sent his disciples to the other side. So the crowd went home, got in their house, lit up the grill, cooked burgers, drank sweet tea, put their feet on the ottoman. Are we in agreement if they went home, the storm they experienced was totally different than the one the disciples experienced? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that tries you. It doesn't try the world, it tries you. It doesn't try the lukewarm person, it tries you. It doesn't try the duplicitous person, it tries you because they go home. But for the disciples, he said, go to the other side. 
And what he had for them wasn't on the other side. What he had for them was in the path. Well, the other people didn't have the storm, nor did they have the revelation and the glory. May I be more simple for you, for us. I cannot know the glory of him being my healer without having the sufferings of sickness. I cannot understand the profundity of him being my provider till I didn't have enough to feed my babies. I can't know the lifter of my head unless my head drugged the ground in sorrow. I can't know the restorer of my soul unless I've lost my soul. I cannot know the lily of the valley unless I've lived in the valley. I cannot know the defender until they attack me. It's the storms that reveal the person and the intentions of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I know what I know not because I read it, but because what I read I have lived. That's why I don't have to defend myself to you. I told somebody not too long ago, they were telling me all who I was and everything. And, you know, it was pretty bad. And I, I listened. I said, are you done? Not yet. I was like, Lord. And it went on a little while longer. And I said, you done? He said, yeah. And this was the, in this conversation, this is what happened. I said, I am not any of the things you said. See? I said, no, no. I'm far worse. You just didn't hit the ones I was. And they just looked at me. Well, how can you be so nonchalant about it? Because through experience, experience, I have been weaned off of the approval addiction, the approval of people. I don't gain my value by how you esteem or treat me, although I appreciate it. <laughs> I do appreciate kindness. Nor do I feel devalued by how you treat me. I have found my value in the scripture that I am the apple of God's eye. I had a mean person come about a year ago. Mean. I'm talking about mean. Mean to me. Tried to harm me. Tried to hurt me. Come down the aisle right after I preached. I didn't even know they were there. Walked right up to me. And I just hugged them. First thing I did was hug them. And God let me know my heart was right. I didn't know it was reflexive. And they said, you have to forgive me. First words, you have to forgive me, God said. <laughs> I said, oh, darling, I forgive you. I just don't trust you. Have a good day. That's, well, see, you have to be chased down and hunted. You have to be lied about, which we all have. And you have to be, you have to get weaned off of that and forgive from your heart fully to taste the freedom of looking your work, one of your worst, if not the worst enemy of your life. And you just want to hug them. I don't want to go to lunch with you. I just hug you. It's through trial. What is the blessedness? If we don't grasp the blessedness of it, all we have is the storm. Now that's got to appeal to everybody. If I'm going through this. Please let me get the something, not a something, the something, Lord, that you want me to see, to know, and to appropriate for my life. Number two, it's a blessed trouble because it reveals the necessity of Christ. 
It's a blessed trouble if it reveals your, the necessity of Christ. It says that after he dismissed the multitudes, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was still there alone. Now, I want to take a moment and, and teach on this part because it's mistaught a little bit. The slant is off. And they said, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And people will say that. Yes, he does. And because we view intercession as intercessory prayer, we think that Jesus simply prays for us. He ever liveth just to pray for us. No, he, he don't pray to himself. He don't pray to God. He is God. He stands, that he ever liveth to make intercession means that he stands in the appropriate place with the credentials to intervene. That's what it means. So in the natural realm, Jesus, the God-man, went up into the hill and he prayed for them. He took the posture, prayed the Father for them because he was limited in one sense and in another sense, he was still all God. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you. But he would pray for them like he prayed at the crucifixion. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Well, he has the power to forgive. No, while he's on the earth, he was lifted up from the earth at that time. So the, the, the intercession means that Christ finds the position and has the authority in that position to intervene on my behalf. So the disciples, could they see him? When he was in the mountain praying? No. Jesus wants you to know that even when you can't see him, he sees you. And he has took the appropriate posture and has seated at a place of authority and position with the power and the intention, listen to me, and the promise to intervene. The promise to intervene. It's one thing, you know, to sing things that you believe intellectually, but you've not quite come to experience. It's like that little 16-year-old boy, and he's, y'all remember, it wasn't too long ago, was it? You're sitting and standing in church, holding your hand, got, holding her with one hand, your arm around her with the other hand, you know, playing with her hair during service, think, singing all that thrills my soul is Jesus. Well, <laughs> no, not yet. And we sing... I need thee, Lord, how I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. How do, you get to, how do you get from singing that to believing that? He puts you in positions where you cannot make it without him so that you might learn to trust him and the release that comes saying, I'm not doing it no more on my own. What's the first thing a kid does? I do it. That's an iron. The iron's hot. I do it. No, I do it. Kid wants to shave, two years old. I do it. No, no. The I do it is killing you. And he is trying to wean us from the I do it's through storms and trials and pressure and pressing, trying to, to break that will. And instead of letting him have his perfect work, we find two or three people to agree with us to get us out of the storm. And we chase down a sermon series, how to get out of your storm. And we buy the five-part DVD, step one, two, three, four, five, and still can't get out. You don't get out till God will let you out. 
I love the old preacher that said, I know y'all, nowadays you can't preach this, but I know it to be true. He said, God put me in the oven and turned it on high and walked away. He said, I was in there so long, I done forgot my middle name. I didn't know what. He said, and one day I heard that oven door creak. And I said, glory, thank you, Lord, only to have him flip me over to roast me on the other side and put me back in there. Now, we know it's not to harm. It's to change. It's to transform. And we change when we learn enough that we want to or we hurt enough that we have to. Which one are you? Don't don't look straight ahead. Don't look at the one beside you. The truth is it's a little of both. And God wants us To not only know, but to love the idea of utter dependence upon the Lord. When you say, I can't do this without you. If you can do what you're doing without Christ, you are not in his will. And by that I mean, well, you can go to work without Jesus. You can brush your teeth without Jesus, brush your hair. What I'm saying is, I need you, Lord. I'm not going without you. I'm not going into that path uh, of sin without you because you won't go with me. I need you. I can't do life soundly and holy and joyfully without you. In this passage, Jesus was praying for them. But we, we now, Jesus as one already mediated the new covenant is not now by his prayers standing in for us, but by his ruling authority. Because we employ him as our high priest. I know he is positioned at a seat of authority and can intervene in a moment's time for me. We do not need him until we need him. We need him for our sins. We need him for our peace. We need him for our weaknesses. We need him for our insecurities, our willful and unknowing missteps. We need him for correction in the early years, guidance in the middle years, and encouragement in the latter. And we do not believe our need for him. We learn our need for him. And he teaches you in the storm. See, when we look back and we realize the path he brought us on was not for our temporary comfort and pleasure, but for our eternal good. Y'all, our little girls are crazy. Y'all know I love, I love my babies, my Isabel and Olivia. Oh, my goodness. Y'all didn't tell us. Oh, just look, it's just so happy. Y'all didn't tell me. Y'all didn't tell me. It's going to take, tongue-in-cheek, an act of God to bring maturation into this world of self-absorption. That's too broad. I can't even, I just want to sit down. I can't even, I can't even it's, it's killing my wife. I reached for cigarettes the other day. I don't smoke. I'm like, I just, can somebody? I, and as a parent, I'm thinking, oh, you too. <laughs> as a parent, I'm thinking, listen, if I don't do something now. Okay. So God could be, or is God. If I don't do something now. They're going to waste a decade and they're going to worry for 10 straight years. So I'm going to turn the heat up now so I can turn the air conditioning on later. 
I'm going to root that out now so the garden will be clear later. It is a blessed trouble, trouble if it's beyond our strength. The Bible said the boat was by this time out to sea, verse 24, many furlongs distant from the land, beaten and tossed by the waves, for the wind was against them. I've been on a lake in a bass boat with a large motor, and when it's storming, it's scary. I'm like, I'm not as boat savvy. I'm like, you slow down? The front of this boat's up off the ground. Slow down, the storm. So they're rowing, rowing miles off of shore and a storm that can take your life. Now think of this. These were sailors, fishermen, very experienced. What do you do when what used to work no longer works? When you get in a place that's like the businessmen, those of you in this room with an entrepreneurial spirit and a knack for doing stuff, what do you do when your knack doesn't knock, when it doesn't work? What do you do when, when how you nurse your baby and how, you know how to hold the baby mama and you know how to put the cold compress and it doesn't help? This is what this story is telling us. He's not telling us how to get out of the storm. He's showing us, I will put you in situations. Did he tell them to go to the other side? Okay, I'm putting you in a situation that will be beyond your strength for several reasons. When I'm putting situations beyond my strength, it reveals my ignorance. And it exposes my arrogance. I thought I could handle anything. Make it happen. I'm telling you, in my 20s, either, you know, fish, cut bait, or move. I'm let's go. Be creative, be brief, and be gone. That's why he used to say, let's go, make it happen. And in my ignorance, not knowing that life was going to beat, beat, the waves beating into the ship, what life was going to beat that ignorance and arrogance out of me to create, if God has his way, a humble believer that says, I do not trust in my strength, ability, or previous knowledge to navigate these waters. You do not get that from reading a book. You get that from being on a boat. You see? You see? The struggle that's there. If it's beyond our strength, it frees us from looking within, looking to others, and it trains us to look up. Some of us that are hard-headed, we'd look for a bigger oar. We'd reposition the people on the boat. I'm going to make this happen. Instead of stopping and saying, this is beyond me. Oh, that's the gate. That's the doorway to miracles. It doesn't make them happen, but they follow. God, this is beyond me. I just give this to you. If it's beyond our strength, listen to this. Then we, nor others, can take any glory for God fixing it, for God handling it. If it's beyond our strength, it teaches us our limitations and reveals to us that God has none. Number four, it's a blessed trouble if it's one that draws Jesus to you. And in the fourth watch, from between 3 and 6 a.m. of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. I have learned that in every storm and in every fiery trial, Christ will come to me. 
Now, there he naturally came to them in his physical body. For us, we know he's with us all the time, but he comes to us in a way that we can see, feel, notice, and experience. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, one of my favorite verses, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Well, John, he hasn't come for me yet. He has too much invested in you to lose you. And he's promised not to lose you. Jesus has seen them in the story, watched them. He has lovingly waited and can't be kept from them. To the person in this congregation on the lake today that's isolated, afraid, gaining no ground, worn out, thinking that God has forgotten you, Christ is coming. He's coming to you. He's coming towards you. He's coming for you and no power in hell can stop him. He came to them in their darkest hour, in the latest hour, in their weakest hour. But when he came, he said a sermon by saying nothing at all. He came walking on top of everything that troubled them. My Lord and my God. That was what was going to kill them. That was what they were up against. That's where they couldn't make any ground. That was what was beyond them. And all he did was came walking on the water. Jesus never showed off. Never. They'd ask him for a sign. He said, only an evil and adulterous generation ask for a sign. Are you the king of the Jews? You say that I am. Why would he do that? He came. He came not to get them out of trouble but to open their eyes. The reason he walked on the water is he wanted them to experience something that would forever change the way they view storms. A a, a visual, you know, how many visual learners? A visual example. Oh, everything I'm afraid of, those rules don't apply to you. Even death. He told Mary and Martha, he said, your brother's going to rise again. Well, I know he'll rise in the last day. He said, I am the resurrection. There's nothing. If you see it, I walk on top of it. And for someone, I don't know who it is, there's your visual today. He is coming to you. He wants you to see him not troubled, not concerned about this thing that's going on for you. Number five. It's a blessed trouble, a trouble that addresses our deepest issues. Oh, don't storms have a way of bringing out the stuff we try to hide? Faithful people become unfaithful. Generous people become stingy. Vocal people become silent. Grateful people become complainers. In storms, it, it, it goes right. Why does God go right to the thing? Like you go into the doctor's office. Anybody else ever had acute tendonitis? Where you get, anybody else besides me? I've had, I can't tell you how many shots. So if somebody squeezes your tendonitis, you just pass out. You just black out. So you go in and you say, yeah, I've got this place. And he grabs it. 
check, please. Just right to it. No notice. Just squeeze. You go. And in storms, in storms, God goes right to What is God trying to get to in your life that you've covered over with a praise song or you've covered over with a good deed that is not being transformed? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the experiences. Now watch, watch this. The disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they screamed out in fright. But Jesus spoke to them. He said, take courage. I am. Stop being afraid. Stop looking for the devil before you look for me. It's a ghost. It's a demon. Some of y'all have this disease. When, any, when everything's going wrong, you see the devil way more clearly than you see God. And that's the devil, and that's the devil, and he's the devil, and she's the devil, and on the way to work, the devil. No, the devil can't be but at one place at one time. My question is, why would you look for the devil first? If it's an apparition and something I don't know what it is, I'm believing God's finding me. Why would I think a demon's coming? See how backwards that is? And you know, you'll find what you look for. Could be God sending angels to you and you, it's a demon. And by the time they get there, it is a demon. He done swapped them out just till, till we quit. Stop looking for, stop expecting bad first. Well, you ain't been through what I've been, we've all, honey, we've all been through. Had our eyelashes burn off and our bones broke and people betray us. Everybody's went through. I just have to believe that God orchestrates. I can't live thinking that my life is at the whim of some demon or fate. There's no, there's no faith in that. Stop thinking that because you can't see me, I can't see you. Stop speaking so quickly. It's a ghost. We're going to die. We're not going to make it. I guess we just need to cash in the chips. We're not going to make it. Stop speaking so negatively, so pessimistically, so faithlessly, so contradictory. How can we sing, how great is our God, and live worrying? Be honest. Don't lie. You know, I, I'm amazed at the Christians that lie. Oh, hell breaking loose. Ain't nothing working. How are you? Blessed, highly favored. You ask me, how you doing? I'm about to die up in here is what I am. But I know, but... I know that God is working, but I, the, the temporal me is being cooked, but there's an exceed, a far greater exceeding glory being worked in me. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? In another place where he came, uh, was in the boat asleep, he said, why are you so fearful? Let's, let's deal with this. And here's the issue. When he asked them, why are you so fearful in Mark chapter four? No one answered. The question no one will answer. He said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? No faith when the greatest object of faith stands right in front of you. No faith when I've given you so many experiences where I've proven my faithfulness, my control, my sovereignty, my power. No faith when faith would bring you such peace. Why don't you have faith? And no one answered him. Because if we answer him, this is a critical issue. Because I don't believe you are who you say you are. 
That's when I get there. That I don't believe that you keep your word. I don't believe you have my best intentions at heart. See, if I believe those things, then I can suffer and anguish and cry out and be miserable and still believe. You see? Agony is not fear. Loss is not fear. Anguish is not fear. Bitter tears for lack and loss is not fear. Fear hath torment, the Bible said. And we're all going to experience those sufferings. But our deepest issues, he said, take courage. I am. My favorite part of this passage is he did not calm the storm. He gave them a word. Because if you get calm when the storm calms, that's reactive. If you get calm by revelation, that's proactive. Jesus said, I am. Oh, I am. I am the one that destroyed Pharaoh and his army. I love it. The lady that was in this. Anybody else ever been to dead church? High church? I mean, dead. No Jesus, no Holy Spirit. Just, you know, start at 10 o'clock sharp, end at 11 o'clock dull. No Bible, no nothing. And just liberal and talked away all the. Miracles, those were, didn't really happen. The men created them anyway. There was this lady, like us, just good old meat and potatoes, loves the Lord. And the guy was uh, um, explaining that the Red Sea was not the Red Sea. It was a reed sea. And the reed sea at the time of harvest or something would get shallow and it would back up. And there were places in the reed sea that were only 18 inches of water. And there was no way. And this little woman goes, ah! right in the middle of this dead church. And you know everybody just fell out. She goes, oh, God. You see, y'all don't have spells no more. We used to have spells in our church. And she had one of them quick ones. Oh! And everybody just looked at her and she said, I knew you was great, but you could drown all those people in 18 inches of water. I just bless you. God, I just thank you. I never knew. And there. So see, for us... When he says, I am, trace it all the way back. I am is with you in your storm. That's the revelation. It's not that he can calm the storm. It's that he can let me see. I am with you. Ben, if you would come, please. I am. Emmanuel, God with me. I am your provider. I am your protector. I am your righteousness. I am your peace. I am your defender. I am your rewarder. I am your elder brother. I am your God. I am your strength, your hope, your life, your source, your fountain. I am your peace. I am your grace. I am your, all of these. And when he come walking to him, he said, take courage. I am. I am here. I am with you. I am active. I am working. And I cannot be withstood. Our greatest need is not less trouble, but deeper revelation. Instead of stopping the storm, he revealed himself as I am. Stopping the storm brings relief. Revelation brings rest. And God is 
wanting us to enter into a rest that can weep and worship at the same time, can hurt and have hope at the same time. That's the difference between the church and the world. It's not just that we're forgiven, we interact with God. And our faith system carries us and keeps us. Real quickly, I'm, I wasn't going to do the last one, but G, uh, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come, bid me to come. It is a blessed trouble if it stirs up and brings out of you a faith that was not there before. Simon was one of the rowers. Simon, I relate to this guy. It's a whole nother sermon. He was just one minute. He's like, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon, my heavenly father revealed that to you. He's like, yeah, that's, that's how I do. And then the next minute he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, that's how I do. You know, you, hit and miss, hit and miss, hit and miss. But Simon here, Lord, if this is you, watch. If this is you in my storm, if this is you in an unrecognizable state, if this is you in this moment, call me to yourself. That's what it says. Bid me to come to you. He wasn't looking. Don't listen to this modern day theatrical emphasis on you. He just wanted to walk on the water. No, he said, tell me that I can come to you. He said, come. If it's that I am, come. And he got up out of the boat and was willing to do in that moment what he wasn't willing to do until the storm had hit. Faith. Faith. Lord, if it's you, invite me to you. Not get me out. Get me closer. Invite me to you. Faith enough to be uncertain. He wasn't even certain. He said, if it is you, I, I'm not, I don't have it all, but I know you and I know your voice. If this is you. Faith enough to ask God for a word. Faith enough to speak when others are silent. Faith enough to break away from the majority. Faith enough to face your fears. Faith enough to be vulnerable. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. How many of you would agree that he didn't have any experience walking on the water? Have you ever done anything for God? This is rhetorical. And you knew this ain't going to end well. She, you know, when uh, Felicia, when we start out in ministry, you just feel like you're a possum for the Lord. You know, you're going to the, and the car. Okay, Lord, you ready? And you know, it ain't, it's just not going to. And you go, oh, he must have loved the Lord. And that hurt. That hurt. Simon's like, bid me to come. He said, come. Anybody want to place odds that I make it all the way? He was willing to go. Don't you think he knew himself? What would you be thinking if I can mess this up? That's what I would think. I'm coming. Hey, I'm coming. I'm one of those guys. Bid me to come. Let's go. Risk it all. Roll the dice. Oh, God. And I just go out and saw the wind, saw the storm, and he began to sink. And he said what? Not save me. What? Look in your Bible. Somebody, what did he say? L Lord save me and Jesus picked him up and I don't have I don't have just real quick what a time to get on to him so 
Is he halfway under? Jesus grabs him. And before he gets him out, he corrects him. Why don't you have any faith? I'm just stupid like that. I don't know. I mean, what? That happened. Does anybody else think like that? It's like, explain to me. He's halfway in. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why don't you have any faith? You're, you're so weak. And I'm thinking, if I'm him, what about those 11 catfishes on the boat? That's what I'm thinking. I, I, that's just me. Okay, so he picks him up. What do they do? Does Jesus carry him? What did he do? I learned something in my storm that will carry me past failure. I learned I don't have to do it right to finish it. I learned that he is merciful and that he will always, this is it, he wants me to get the lesson. That's why he didn't stand him up before. And when he got to the boat, what would you feel like if you were Simon? You walked to Jesus, you sank, you walked back to the boat. He's now, the first trip, he's looking at Jesus. Now he's looking at the disciples. Y'all do what don't you think there would be a little bit like what's up Luke how you doing and he walked and got back <laughs> I just I would think did y'all see that carnally so they get to the boat and they all begin to worship Jesus a blessed trouble a blessed trouble is one that culminates in you worshiping Jesus in a different way than you ever have before. Simon is the one that got the whole revelation. They got revelation. Twelve worshipped him. One worshipped him with wet clothes. I may be a failure, but I know who you are. I may not be perfect, but I know who you are. I know thou art the Christ. And I will not fear. I, I, I may disappoint myself and you, but I am not confused over who you are. He got it. And we find him later, chained to 16 soldiers about to be executed. And the Bible said, and Simon was asleep. They told him, you're tomorrow morning. He's jerking on the chain. Come closer, man. I'm tired. If you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me. I'm not up to where did that how did you develop that on the water so here's your answer here's your word this is a blessed trouble look for it find it appropriate it and when the Lord teaches the lesson ceases would you bow your heads with me this morning Do you know that one word from the Lord can change everything? Do you not know that this can change the path, the speed, the direction, the atmosphere? He's going for the deeper things in you. He's bypassed your comfort to bring out your cause. He's bypassed your pleasure to bring your potential. Whatever he's asking you, why this? Why so fearful? Why no faith? Dialogue. Be honest. Answer. Repent. 
and it's going to turn around. The issue is not when will the storm stop. It'll stop. The issue is, did it help you? Did it bring glory to the Lord? Did it bring glory to the Lord? If this message was for you, this won't take us even a minute. I just want you, it's good for our soul when we assault our pride. And just I want you to walk and stand at this altar. We're going to pray together and go home. If this was for you, I want you to come. Just stand around the front. We're going to pray together. I just hear this in my spirit. Lord, if it's you, invite me to come to you. To a closer place, a deeper place, a more aware place. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, here we stand in your presence. You've spoke to us through your word and by your spirit. Change us, we pray, O oh Lord. Let these waves and this wind move us. May it open our eyes that we might see you more clearly, that we might depend upon ourselves less and depend more on you, that we would come into a wholeness and a peace only found in knowing you. Let us find the blessedness in this trouble. And may it culminate in worship. Oh God, worship that we've never offered before in a different way with greater revelation than we've ever had. That our lives might shout the fame of the Son of God. For your glory's sake we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.